to Luke chapter 13. We're studying through the gospel of Luke, a little at a time here in the mornings, and uh, we're in chapter 13. We're going to read verses 22 through 30 this morning. Guess who's not coming to dinner is the title of our message. You'll see why in a moment. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 22. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. Let's pray together. Lord, we always want to approach your word in the humility of prayer. You inspired this word. They are God-breathed words for us to know you more and to draw closer into your presence. Or perhaps, Lord, if there are people who don't know you this morning, they're inspired to reach into the hardness of a heart and to soften it and to reveal Jesus Christ. We want you to do everything that you desire to do. It's more than we would ever even ask for. We want to set our expectations aside and just listen to the still small voice of your spirit speaking to us. We love you, Lord. We want others to know how much we love you. We want to be filled with your spirit and aware of your presence. Teach us from your word now, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Do you ever wish you could crash the biggest, most exclusive parties on the planet? Or get into the premieres of your favorite movies and meet the celebrities? Alex Mamlet has done it many times over. He's crashed parties and premieres, hung out with people like Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg, The Governor, Ben Affleck, and many, many others. How does he do it? Mamlet employs a variety of finely honed techniques to skirt past security, such as the cell phone bum rush. That's when you just come up the red carpet frantically talking on a cell phone as if you don't have time really to show your credentials. The upside down guest list. That's when you approach the person who has the guest list and While uh, you don't give them a name, and and as they're flipping the pages, you just pick a name up from upside down that you can read, and you say, oh yeah, there I am, Fred Smith, and they let you in. He's done the wine glass in hand trick, where you uh, just get a, a champagne or a wine glass, and you walk 
past security because they figure you must have already been in the party if you're coming back with a wine glass. Uh, the fake pass or the quick show of your ID. Mamlet has also used a variety of costume disguises just to get inside a big star party. He's dressed as anything from a chef to a janitor to a security guard to a hip-hop DJ. He even has a super-secret party crashing kit complete with different colored laminated badges, wristbands, different colored markers, walkie-talkies. For example, not that anybody would have wanted to crash the men's retreat this weekend. I mean, it was great, don't get me wrong, but it's not the kind of thing you crash. We would have just paid for you to go. But in order to eat lunch at Camp Sugar Pine, you have to wear a red arm bracelet. Uh, And as you're coming through the line, they just quickly glance to see if you've got your bracelet on. And so if you're ever up in the Oakhurst area, and it's on the weekend, and you don't have enough money for lunch, and you've got your secret super party crashing kit with you, and it has a number of different armbands in it, you can just go on campus there and figure out what color armband they're wearing and put that on and get in line. It's just as simple as that, believe it or not. Now, there are some party crashers in our story. They are unable to get into the banquet even though they had been invited. In their case, they waited too long to get in and the door was permanently shut. The banquet in this Bible passage represents salvation and eternal life. There is an open invitation to everyone, but there is a time in everyone's life when it is too late to respond. The door is shut forever, and this is one party you will not be able to crash. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, today you can strive to enter the open gate and be received. But number two, one day you will seek to enter the shut door and be refused. First of all, in verses 22 through 24, today you can strive to enter the open gate and be received. This is a scary section of scripture on the surface. It's just as scary below the surface. That was really a fantastic line, but you'll never know it. What we need to do is understand this before we get into it. From a quick first reading, it sounds as though it's teaching that you may not get into heaven unless you work really hard at it your whole life. And even then you might be refused entrance. Salvation is not attained by your works. It is not maintained by your works. It is from start to finish the free gift of the grace of God. So what is going on in these verses? Well, it's very Jewish. That is not to say it has no application for us. It does, and we'll see it. But first and foremost, it was about the Jews and about their ideas concerning salvation. You see, a first century Jew believed that he was saved by birth and by background. He believed he was saved by birth simply because the Jews were God's chosen people. He believed he was saved by background because he could trace his religion back to guys like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The questioner asked Jesus, are there few who are saved? It seems he wanted Jesus to clarify whether or not all Jews were automatically saved, 
and whether or not all non-Jews were automatically lost or damned to hell. Jesus' answer was that the Jews were privileged to know the way of salvation, but were not saved by birth or background, and that multitudes of non-Jews could and would be saved despite their birth and background. And so we can now pick up the story in verse 24 where Jesus begins his answer and he says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. We have our own ideas about what the narrow gate means or represents. And you probably, if you've been in church at all ever, you've probably heard people talk about the narrow gate and, and how difficult it is to get into heaven and how you, you, know, you need to remove your sins and kind of squeeze through and all of those kinds of things. And many of these are, are, are Western ideas, they're American ideas, they're our own cultural ideas. I want to again ask you to think Jewish. Put on your yarmulke your Jewish thinking cap, to a Jew, the narrow gate referred to the single entrance to the Old Testament tabernacle and later the temple. It was called the gate, Exodus chapter 27. If you wanted to approach God, if you wanted to have a relationship with God, you had to enter the tabernacle by the one gate. There was no other way in, only one way led to God. The word strive is a term you would encounter if you watch Sports Center. It's an athletic term. It means literally to agonize, but it describes the conviction of a dedicated athlete who trains and trains and trains in order to just qualify for their event. And I, just about every athletic competition has some level of qualification where you, you have to meet a certain standard in order to qualify and be accepted into that competition. In our context, this word strive means you can only qualify for salvation by coming through the narrow gate. So it doesn't mean that you have to work really, really hard your whole life and hope that you'll be saved in the end. That's not what it means at all. There's other passages of Scripture we look at as we go through the Word of God that talk about our personal discipline as Christians and and the way that we ought to live, but this is not one of them. This is simply saying that you have to qualify for salvation by entering in through the narrow gate. Now, up to this point, it sounds like Jesus was agreeing that Jews would be saved. And indeed, the Jews had been blessed with many privileges, not the least of which was the law of God and the system of sacrifice in the temple that permitted a person to approach God. So would all Jews be saved? The answer is no, because Jesus quickly added, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. That statement would absolutely shock a Jew. How could they have the narrow gate and not be able to enter? Well, we're going to see that in a moment. But first, I want to linger on this point about the narrow gate. You see, a lot of people think that the narrow gate uh, limits the amount of people that can go to heaven. But in in an interesting uh, mental picture, the narrow gate allows everyone to go to heaven if they'll just go through that one way. It excludes no one. It is open to everyone. 
We look around and see what are called the world's great religions. Have you heard that phrase? Probably in the last few days you've, you've heard that or, or you've heard that before. The world's great religions and then there's a list, you know, Christianity, Judaism, Islam and Buddhism, these different things. Well, you know, really there's nothing great about religion except great in a negative sense, great in the sense that it's a conglomeration of heretical demonic teaching. That's what's great about the world's religions. And, and so you hear about the great religions, and before you're a Christian, it gives you a sense that there are different paths that people can take, different doors that we enter to get into heaven. If you're in the Western world, you, you, you know, Christianity seems prominent. If you're in the Eastern world, you've got all these other choices, and, and, you know, but all these different religions. And as long as you believe something and, and are a reasonably decent person, you're probably going to go to heaven. Millions of people watch the funeral, or a portion of it, for Pope John Paul II. Religious leaders from the world's great religions were there. It gave the impression that Catholicism was a way to God, was a doorway to heaven, but so would be Judaism or Islam or Buddhism or any of the other religious leaders that were there that represented their various uh, belief systems. There was and there is only one way to God. There are not many ways. There are not many doors. There is this one narrow gate that excludes no one, and it is biblical Christianity The one way is to believe on Jesus Christ. Now, don't be fooled. God established this one way of salvation right at the beginning in the Garden of Eden. The other argument that people bring up is that, well, hey, wait a minute, you guys. Jesus Christ, I mean, he was born in the first century. And so Christianity is a relatively newcomer, this, uh, you know, Christian thing. And, And, you know, there's these other great religions that predate Christianity. Well, that's, that's not true. That's a falsehood. That's absolutely false. That's a lie. You know why? Because Christianity started in the Garden of Eden. And all the world's great religions are a perversion of what God intends. They are all wrong. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. And God did two important things to restore them to a relationship with Him. First, He killed an animal or two, and they were probably lambs. To show them that sin could only be forgiven by the death of an innocent substitute who would take your place. So Adam and Eve sin. They immediately know that they no longer have an intimate relationship with God. They're hiding and they're covering themselves. And God comes into the garden and he says, let me show you what it's going to take now for us to have a face-to-face relationship in our context for you to go to heaven. Something is going to have to die, shed its blood so that I can cover your sin and we can talk to one another and have a relationship. And then the second thing he did is he immediately promised to come himself as a man, God come in human flesh, that he would be the substitute to ultimately take your place, dying to shed his blood so that you could have a relationship with him. That is the world's great religion. I hate to call it religion, but you know what I mean. That's all there is. And it's, it's a narrow gate because it's the only way, but it's open to everyone, everywhere, for all time, in every culture on the planet. And it started right at the beginning in the garden, and people have known about it since then. And everything else that's come along is a perversion. Now, the Jewish religion, with its narrow gate into the tabernacle, was symbolic. It was an expansion 
on what God had said in the Garden of Eden, giving you more symbols and representations so that you could more fully understand how this was going to happen. It taught that there was one way to God, the way he prescribed in the garden, the way of sacrifice. It's gate and then it's furnishings and then it's rituals all expand your understanding of what he had already established. They were intended to point you to Jesus when he came. He was the fulfillment of everything God had previously taught about salvation. He was the narrow gate. And if you study the Jewish tabernacle, he was everything else in the tabernacle too. He was the altar of sacrifice. He was the brass wash basin. He was everything in in the sense that what they represented were fulfilled in his coming to die on the cross. He is the narrow gate, the door to salvation, the only way to get to heaven. He died in your place as your substitute, as the final lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When the text here says, strive to enter the narrow gate, it means you can only qualify for salvation by believing on Jesus. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Anytime Jesus is preached... Anytime Jesus is preached from the Bible, the narrow gate is open and unbelievers of any ethnic birth and every conceivable background can strive to enter and be saved for eternity. All they have to do is believe and receive Jesus Christ. Now, back to the first century. Jesus went on to tell his Jewish listeners For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He explained what he meant by telling a story where we're going to learn in verses 25 through 30, one day you will seek to enter the shut door and be refused. Again, shocking. Jews were sure that their birth and their background qualified them for heaven. A lot of people still feel this way. This isn't just some ancient idea. This isn't just the way the Jews feel. A lot of people feel this way. Now, I'm constantly referring to myself and to my background, and that's because I'm here talking, and I, have, it's, I, don't, I don't want to refer to anybody else's background or make up any testimonies that aren't mine. And the, the problem is, if it is a problem, is that most pastors, they hang out for three or four or five years max, and then they move on. And I've just been hanging on for 20 years. And so you either can't get rid of me or I can't get rid of you, one of the two. And so you keep hearing these stories over and over again. So if you've heard these stories, uh, just hear them again. But some, they're, they're my stories, and that's the way it is. As an Italian Roman Catholic who had been baptized as an infant, received first Holy Communion, and then confirmation, I was in. It doesn't get any better than that from a Roman Catholic point of view. Baptized, go to confession, First Holy Communion, confirmation, Italian. (laughs) I mean, there are other Roman Catholics, don't get me wrong, and I think most Roman Catholics are are Latin American, but I just remind you that the Vatican, it's in Rome. (laughs) I I mean, I just, I didn't think about God all that much, but if I ever did, there was this little voice in me. It was the devil voice on the one side. You know, you got the, in the commercials and stuff. Anyway, there was this little voice that said, you're in. You're in. And I believed that. didn't have any effect on my life whatsoever. In fact, I was so in that I did everything that would normally keep you out. 
because I thought I had it made. A lot of people who attend Protestant churches believe their heritage saves them. Some think that by being in the right church that teaches the right doctrine, they're saved. Others believe that they were born saved because they were born into the right family. They too have been baptized perhaps as infants and had a type of a confirmation service, but they are not at all saved if they haven't personally trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So it's not just Roman Catholicism that is promulgating a lie. Man, where did that word come from? Whew! Man, that's my college degree coming back, promulgated. Wow, I'm smart. Verbal advantage, that's your word for today, promulgated. I don't even know if I used it right, but there it is. Uh, And so I'm not just picking on Roman Catholicism. Protestant churches do the same thing. I could name them. I won't. You already know where they are. And they're just, yeah, we're saved. Why are you saved? Well, we go to this church. We teach the correct doctrine, okay? Uh, And I was born. My my dad and his dad and his dad and all my ancestors were born in this church. And so I'm I'm on my way to heaven. And, And it's just not true unless they have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. This story is about all such people. It's among the saddest, most tragic story in all of the Word of God. Think of it. Millions, maybe even billions of people who are going through their lives trusting in their birth or their background. In all the world's religions, many even in so-called Christian churches who in the end will be lost forever and spend eternity separated from God in hell. Jesus switched in mid-sentence from those who strive now to enter to those who will seek later to get in. Strive now means to come to God His way through faith in Jesus Christ and to do it right now while you have time. For those who do not come God's way, there is coming a day when it will be too late for them. Instead of the open, narrow gate, they will encounter the shut door. And it says in verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I want you to think about these words and the gravity of them. I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. The scene is, of course, a banquet. It's a picture of salvation, this banquet. Who doesn't love to eat and to get together with friends over a meal? It's a beautiful picture of, of, of uh, fellowship and here, fellowship with God. And then imagine the joy of dining with Jesus in heaven. If you're a Christian, you, you understand that. I mean, just to be with Jesus at the dinner table, uh, just talking with the Lord and enjoying that extended time of fellowship. And there too are all the believers from all time, including many friends and family that you have said goodbye to in this life. Oh man, that is going to be precious. I was thinking about this and uh, just an interesting thought. It really doesn't have anything to do with the study, but it's kind of fun when we think about being in heaven. You remember when Jesus was on the earth, there was an episode where he went up to a mountain and, and uh, the disciples went with him and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus. And the disciples knew immediately that they were Moses and Elijah. 
and we, we talk about how you'll be able to recognize people in heaven. Well, I don't know why there's some kind of super knowledge or, you know, what happens, but you'll, you'll be able to recognize people in heaven. And then I was thinking, you know, they're going to recognize you. What a trip. You're going to be in heaven one day, and all of a sudden you're going to get tapped on the shoulder, and you look around, and Moses is going to say, Hey, Gene, how you doing? Although your name won't be Gene, you're going to have a new name in heaven, according to the book of Revelation. But Moses will know you. I mean, that's kind of cool. You know, I mean, today we, we still get enamored by celebrities. You know, we love to, oh, man, look, look at that. That's that guy that's on television, or that's this person or that person, you know. And, and you go up to me, hey, are you, are you Tom Cruise? Are you so-and-so? Could you imagine if you're sitting down here at Applebee's and Tom Cruise came in and said, hey, are you Gene Pensiero? Can I have your autograph? You know, I mean, that's the idea. Everybody in heaven is going to know you because there's this super knowledge and this fellowship that we'll all share. All right, back to, back to earth here. You know, I, nobody knows me now. I'm kind of happy that Moses is going to know me. I mean, you know, you know, people, they're name droppers. Yeah, so-and-so and so-and-so. Oh, whoa, whoa, man, let me touch you. <laughs> hey, be a name dropper. Just say, yeah, you know, I was uh, thinking about Moses the other day. You know, Mo, my friend. <laughs> anyway, the emphasis now, sadly... The emphasis in this story is on those outside who cannot enter. When is it too late to get to heaven? Well, it's too late once you die. If you're not a Christian, there's no chance after death to be saved. And every time I've ever said that, I say, I wish there were. There is in popular culture, literature, and in religions, usually a second chance after death. We refer to it as purgatory in uh, the Western world. And there's a sense that people have that maybe they're not quite good enough to go to heaven, but they're not bad enough to go to hell, and so there must be a second chance in purgatory. And some religions really run with this, and and they get into the whole thing about how you're going to suffer in purgatory for maybe thousands of years until you've paid for your own sins. And so I guess it works like this. God can come in human flesh and die a brutal death on the cross so that you can go to heaven, or you can just suffer for yourself. Well, God's stupid if that's the case, and I mean that with every respect. If you could suffer enough for your own sins, then he would just let you do that. There is no hope after death. There's nothing happening. Everybody you see in the Bible after they've died is either in paradise or they're in a place of torment. And they'll know it. And they'll know they deserve to be where they are because it's not that you weren't you know, bad enough to go to hell or not quite good enough to go to heaven. No one is good enough to go to heaven because no one is perfect. Everyone falls short. And we all need the blood of Jesus Christ in order to get there. And so once you die, it's too late. It's appointed unto men once to die, the Bible says, and after this judgment. It might be too late for you after the rapture if you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain a couple things. Most of you know the rapture of the church. It's an event talked about in the Bible. It could happen any time where the, the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the clouds in the heavens and he catches away his church, all the believers of the church age. 
The dead in Christ will rise first, the Bible says. That means they'll be resurrected from the grave and given glorified bodies and get to heaven. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. That means if you're alive when the rapture happens, I'm, I'm guessing your clothes are just going to be left behind because no matter, you know, Armani or not, they're not suited for heaven, you know. You're just going to be a pile of clothes and you're going to be gone. And, and, and we're all going to be in heaven. Now, there is a passage in 2 Thessalonians, it's chapter 2, verse 11. It describes the aftermath of the rapture of the church, those who are left behind. And I still haven't decided, I'll be honest with you, what I believe about this, but there are two ways that you can go with this. And one of them is that people who have heard the gospel now, but reject Jesus Christ and miss the rapture, the scripture there says they will believe the lie. And it goes on to indicate that they might be lost for eternity. In other words, it will be too late for them. And it's not that they're going to want to believe and God won't let them. It's that they refuse the gospel when they had a chance and then God will allow them, give them the desires of their heart and they'll believe the lie of the Antichrist and be lost for eternity. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'd rather believe that if I'm talking to my unbelieving friends or family and all of a sudden I'm just a pile of clothes, that they'll remember to go to the website I gave them and look up what happens after the rapture, you know. And, and there are websites like that, believe it or not. It's cool. And that they'll get saved. But I don't know. And even if they do, who wants to be in the great tribulation anyway? It's not nice. It's way worse than going to Southern California for the weekend. I mean, it's bad. It's going to be tough. Way worse than San Francisco. I mean, it's just killer stuff. So listen, here's the point of what I'm saying. You do not know when you are going to die, and you do not know when the rapture of the church will occur. Both events are imminent. You could die any moment, and Jesus could return any moment. You know, people don't believe that they could die any moment. I mean, I don't want to go around, you know, thinking, man, I'm going to die any moment. But you need to know in your heart that that's possible. A, a little over a week ago, I got called out as a chaplain for the Lamore Police Department. And uh, very sad, a lady here in Lamore. Her and her husband were getting ready to go out to dinner, and uh, he went out to start the car. She went in to get her, her purse. The time it took her to get the purse to, out to the car, he was dead. He died. He had a massive heart attack in the car and was dead. She had no idea, no inkling that that was going to be the day that he died, and he didn't either, obviously. Coming down from the men's retreat, some of the guys were telling me that they, they, they ended up on the highway behind a drunk driver. They called it into the CHP, but this guy was all over the road. He almost head on into several cars. Man, you just don't know when you're going to die. The rapture could take place any time. That's what the New Testament teaches. You, you, you don't have to believe it, but that's the truth. Jesus could come any minute, faster than I snap my fingers, and all the believers all over the planet would be gone, and you would be left behind. If you have not entered by this narrow gate, by that time, by those times, then the door will be shut for you, and it will be too late. The people in Jesus' story acted like they knew him. Well, they did, but not in a way that saved them. They trusted in their birth or background. We know they did because Jesus went on to say in verse 27, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. The people Jesus was addressing could claim birth 
as their ticket to the banquet. They were descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would claim their background as a ticket to the banquet. They had the prophets in their background, meaning they were members of this true religion that had been revealed by God through the prophets. Birth and background could not and they do not save anyone. Birth and background are great privileges for sure. But you must believe for yourself and be born again. And you must realize that your background is that you are dead in trespasses and sins with no hope of heaven apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is what goes on for eternity in hell. It's kind of a description in the Bible of, of hell because that's, that's the kind of emotion that you're going to have there. You're going to weep incessantly and gnash your teeth. I mean, you know, I mean, some people grind their teeth at night when they're asleep. I mean, gnashing is, I mean, you, you're just, you are so full of grief that you're just chewing on yourself literally in one sense. You'll not only be refused entrance into heaven, but you'll be thrust out into hell. If you were a Jew listening to Jesus, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, then he adds this in verse 29. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. People coming from these directions, from all over the earth, were not Jews. They were non-Jews. They were Gentiles whom most Jews felt could not be saved at all, they would be saved, Jesus said, while Jews were lost. The first refers to the Jews who had the privileges of the law, the covenants and the tabernacle, many other things to show them the way to God was by grace through faith. The last were the Gentiles to whom God would reveal His Son, Jesus Christ. It isn't that Jews and Gentiles were going to just change places in a line. It's that the first would be shut out from heaven and the last would be let in. And so this is really serious, serious stuff. Now Jesus did something important in his response to the question posed to him. He made it personal. The questioner asked, will the saved be few? Jesus responded, will the saved be you? It's so important that we take the word of God for ourselves first. Believers become like this questioner sometimes. They argue over the exact order of salvation. They argue over the exact content of the gospel. There is a place for argument. There is a need for sharpening doctrine and for the study of theology. Don't get me wrong. I love to do that. In the last decade, however, I've watched whole churches implode and divide over such arguments. I know about Christians who stand outside of evangelistic crusades, Billy Graham crusades or the Harvest Crusades, and pass out literature claiming that the gospel was not really preached at the crusade because it didn't mention certain specific words or phrases that they believe must be spoken for the gospel to be really preached. And it's, it's very sad to me. Uh, I've had... Uh, you know, encounters in our own church with people who have ended up leaving the church because they've begun to embrace these very limiting doctrines. And, you know, they start to tell you that you're not really preaching the gospel and, and what you're doing is wrong and, and, and you're not right. And, you know, if you study the Bible more, you'll figure it out. And it's, it's really sad. 
As I said, we, we want to have these discussions among ourselves and seek to understand the Word of God in, in, a, in a very uh, scholarly way. But when churches start to divide and when, when people come in and they're not being evangelized anymore, you know, because we have all these weird ideas, when we've taken what is simple and straightforward and made it so complicated that even a Christian can't understand it anymore, that's not what God intends. That's not good. And so that's a problem. And then there's another movement among churches, somewhat the opposite. Churches have become what are, is called seeker-sensitive. They are sensitive to the felt needs of those who are seeking spirituality. Now that sounds good, and these churches are often the fastest growing in the community, but a lot of the times they are not confronting seekers with their need for salvation because that would be insensitive. The Word of God is then taught less and less because it's, it's thought that it's offensive or that the seekers don't really have the attention span to listen to it. And so, you know, if you're really into this, you wouldn't come to Calvary Chapel. Not because we're bad people or because we're not Christians, but because we teach the Bible for more than 15 minutes. And, and most people, you think, well, we don't, wanna, we don't want to drive people away. Gene, I'd love to bring people to the church, but you teach for, gosh, 40 minutes. I mean, my neighbor is, is just going to be drooling by the time. I mean, you know, I, there's no way. I mean, so, I, you know, and so we, need to have, we need to have more of a media thing going on. I mean, once you teach for 10 minutes and have a, like a media explosion over here and something else, you know, and, and, you know, because they're all home watching television and, and you, know, you know, television, there's tickers along the bottom and on the side and, and you know, we're a multi-sensory people now and stuff and we have to just really capture people. It's as if everybody has ADD now and we're trying to minister to the ADD culture, you know, it's like, oh, whoa, what's going on over there? Man, this is great. I love church. It's the only place where I don't have to think. Where I, I, my attention is, is grabbed every five seconds by something else going on. I don't have to concentrate on anything whatsoever. Jesus, I just want to point out, seeker insensitive. He really was, at least in these verses. This uh, guy came up and he basically said, hey, if you don't get right, you're going to hell. That is not seeker sensitive stuff at all. But in a sense it is, because it's not the felt needs of seekers we should concentrate on, but their real needs, salvation. You know, you don't have to take a poll. Some churches and groups, they've taken polls. What are the felt needs? What, what would draw you into a church? Uh, and then they have, you know, a lot of times it has to do with the bathrooms, believe it or not. People who really, I mean, they've got to have their space in the bathroom. <laughs> I know, you laugh, you think, man, Gene makes all this stuff up, and then years later you, you read about it, and you say, oh, he, he was serious. But, and so... I know what the needs, you, if you're a Christian, you know what the needs of people are, don't you? They need to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Their marriage is not their need. How to raise their children is not their need. The bathroom is not their need. If they're not Christians, they need Jesus. And then their marriage will come together, and they'll love to raise their children in the Lord, and they'll be happy with their bathroom facility. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And so we're seeker-sensitive in a different way. We don't go out of our way to offend people, contrary to popular opinion. <laughs> but the Word of God can be offensive because it confronts you, and, and it should. Uh, you know, if somebody says, well, why should I get saved? 
I mean, you can tell them, well, you know, God will put your marriage back together or God will do this or God will do that. But you know what? You don't know what God is going to do in that sense. You don't know if their marriage is going to come together. I'd like to be able to tell everybody that gets saved that God's going to help and heal their marriage, but there's other decisions that their spouse has to make. Why, if, if a person says, why should I get saved? The answer really is because you're lost. And today is the only opportunity you might have to get saved. Tomorrow it'll be too late and the door will be shut if you get hit by that drunk driver coming down 43 or 41. Maybe it was me because I don't know what freeway we were on. But (laughs) No, it was the 41. Or if you leave here and have that massive heart attack or whatever it might be. And so that's why people need to get saved because they're lost. And we can be as sensitive as we need to be in telling them that, but that's the message. Now, unbelievers, we've been talking about believers, unbelievers have their questions and arguments. What about the pygmy in Africa? What about the theory of evolution? How can a God who is loved send people to hell? Why do people suffer if God is an almighty God? Years ago, we would say, yada, yada, yada. It just goes on and on, doesn't it, these questions? And you've talked to people like this, and you're talking to them about coming to Christ, and all of a sudden, they're in Africa. You're talking to them at at Denny's, and they go to Africa now. What about the pygmy? Or you're trying to talk to them about faith in Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, you're, you're debating the theory of evolution. All of them are like this man's question in our text, Will the saved be few? In other words, let's debate salvation. And, uh, you know, I'll bring out all my arguments and you bring out all arguments. And you know what Jesus does to those people still? He still looks at them and he says, will the saved be you? And a lot of times you just need to say to people, I don't know about that, but what about you? Because if what I'm saying is true, you're going to die and go to hell. And there may be pygmies there and there may not be. That's between God and them. And you know, by the way, about the pygmy in Africa, which is a real question. They've got to be the most evangelized people in the world by now. Because everybody's so worried about them. But the answer to that is in Acts 17. In the middle of Acts 17, Paul is giving an address. And he says, God, on purpose, scattered people all over the world and put them where they are so that they would seek him and find him. Now, you and I might scratch our heads and think, well, how, how are they going to find him over there? The, well, then the answer is, well, we're going to go over there with the gospel. And my responsibility is only to share about God, only to share the good news. God put them there. He's worried about them. I'm worried about you. Will you be saved? Let God worry about pygmies. He does. What about you? And we need to bring these questions into a personal level and confront them on a personal basis. You, everybody has a birth and a background. Every one of us is born dead in our sins. And our backgrounds are full of sin. We're always falling short of perfection. You might not think you're so bad. You're all better than me. Great. But you're worse than Jesus. And so you're not going to get into heaven on your works. The good news is that you can be born again. You can have a new birth. And your background can be wiped clean by the forgiveness of your sins. Today you can qualify by simply entering through that narrow gate. Tomorrow the door for you, if you're not saved, might be shut forever.
Let's pray together. Lord, you are the one that is full of compassion. You are compassion. You are love. And yet you were one to confront sinners because you knew that eternity hung in the balance. And I appreciate that so much about you, Lord. And I pray that we would be sensitive to the real needs of unbelievers. Lord, as Christians, I pray that we would back away from arguments that divide, that we could talk calmly and um, just lovingly about issues and uh, know what is ultimately important and to maintain unity in the bond of peace. We would avoid these worldly ideas about watering down your word so that we would attract more people. Lord, we only want more people if we're telling them the truth and if they're having their lives changed for eternity. And so help us as Christians, Lord, to receive these things. And Lord, if there's any unbelievers here today that are not uh, Christians, I pray that they would come to know you, Lord, as we close our service. Lord, like that gal first service who came forward and prayed with Kevin, Lord, and received you and is now child of God, born again. She had her background erased in an instant. You see her as if she had never sinned, Lord, because she's trusted Jesus for salvation. I pray that would happen to one or many today, Lord, as we close. We just leave these things in your capable hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. As we close our service, we do love to have some of our guys down front to pray for you and They're here to pray for you if you're a Christian and you're going through struggles or problems. Uh, So come on forward and and just share with them. There are always unbelievers in any gathering of any size. And let me look down when I say this because I don't want anybody to think anything. But some of you are unbelievers. And you know who you are. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is in this place. I know that Jesus is in this place because he promised he would be and he is a man of his word. He's been ministering to you as we've been sharing the gospel. And I may not have used all the phrases and words that some people think that should be used. But Jesus has been here and he'll cover for me. He's, he's bigger than me and than any man. And he's been talking to you about where you're at. And you may not think you're going to die and you may think the rapture is hokum, whatever that is. But uh, still, there's a stirring in your heart and you're wondering about... Christianity, you're worried about Jesus Christ, you know you're not saved, you've never been born again you're trusting in your birth or you know, something in your background to save you, you need to give up that trust and come to the Lord and so as we close, even before Gene's finished singing the song come forward and pray with some of the guys tell them you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't leave this place lost when you can come in through that wide open narrow gate that is Jesus Christ God bless you, in Jesus' name, amen. Sing, my heart burns for you, and my heart burns for you, and my heart burns. My heart burns for you.
Here, O Lord, here. 